Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of manipulation and abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise caution for children under 13. On April 2, 2015, Catherine Grove ran down a remote stretch of Highway 69 in East Texas. The setting sun cast long shadows against the young woman's thin, pale frame. Determination and frustration wore heavy on her face. About two years before, she'd given up everything to join the devoutly religious Church of Wells. She'd accepted their strict conservative lifestyle, but now she was chomping at the bit to get out. She ran for her life. A passerby on the highway asked if she was okay. They'd let her use their cell phone long enough for her to call the police and offer to give her a ride to wherever she was looking to go. She knew where she wanted to go, and it was as far away as she could make it. As long as the Church of Wells stayed off in the distance and the elders in control couldn't find her. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we took a deep dive into the Church of Wells, founded by Sean Morris, Ryan Ringnald, and Jacob Gardner. In their early years, the elders traveled across the U.S. street preaching before they finally settled down in the town of Wells, Texas. This week, we'll focus on their followers, including Catherine Grove and Jordan Reichenberger. What lured them into the church, what convinced them to stay, and the determining factors that led to where they are today. We have all that coming up. Stay with us. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently capella.edu Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. Sean Morris, Ryan Ringnald, and Jacob Gardner founded their church in 2008. For months, they preached across the U.S. and posted their sermons online, slowly building a following of those who ascribed to their strict beliefs. The group briefly settled in Arlington before outgrowing the space and landing in the small town of Wells, Texas, nearly 200 miles away. In 2012, the three elders established their one true church. They also purchased a substantial amount of the real estate in Wells, including the only grocery store, the R&R Mercantile. 
Locals worried over the church's presence, especially since the elders showed no signs of slowing down. By early 2013, their congregation reached just over 50 members, and their online outreach had successfully nabbed several fervent converts, like 23-year-old Catherine Grove. Members of the Church of Wells first approached Catherine, a student from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, at a Bible-translating conference in Duncanville, Texas in 2010. They exchanged contact information, and by the next year, she was talking regularly through email and Skype with the church. Catherine's grandfather had recently passed away after she spent months serving as his caretaker. She was devastated. Her attachment to the digital world grew stronger. Shaken by this loss, Catherine dropped out of nursing school and moved back to her parents' farm in 2011. Under Andy and Patty Grove's care, Catherine slowly showed signs of healing. She regained her confidence, earned her license as a certified nursing assistant, and began working in an ICU in Fayetteville. Then, in early 2013, the Groves noticed a shift in Catherine's way of thinking. She had grown cynical about saving lives. They recalled her saying things like, why go into nursing as a career when God's going to kill everyone anyway? She quit her job and stopped making plans past May. The only thing she didn't seem to give up on was her connection with the Church of Wells. She felt angry and no longer had a motivation to engage with her day-to-day life, all symptomatic of her grief. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. A study on bereavement written by Drs. M. Catherine Shear, Dr. Angela Guesquire, and Kim Glickman explored acute grief. Acute grief can often manifest as a decreased interest in engaging with usual activities, such as Catherine's apathy towards her professional and social life. After a standard initial mourning period, acute grief typically gives way to integrated grief, allowing for the bereaved to readapt to business as usual. However, in certain cases, the movement from acute to integrated grief can derail, giving way to complicated grief, a prolonged form of acute grief that preserves the severe, impairing feelings of bereavement. As Catherine's grief took root, she felt as though she had nowhere to turn in her normal life. There was one element of her life that she clung to, her religion. According to Kenneth I. Pargament, a professor of psychology at Bowling Green State University and a leader in the field of religion and psychology, in the face of loss, many turn towards faith to help cope. In an interview with the American Psychological Association, he said, Empirical studies of many groups dealing with major life stressors, such as natural disaster, illness, loss of loved ones, divorce, and serious mental illness, show that religion and spirituality are generally helpful to people in coping. Positive religious coping methods include spiritual support from God or a higher power, rituals to facilitate life transitions, spiritual forgiveness, support from a religious institution or clergy. In Catherine's case, seeking a way to quell the pain within, she turned to other people who adamantly followed the Bible. Angry, grieving, and holding tight to her faith, Catherine joined a group as outraged by the world as she was. She saw a true family in Wells. That was who she needed to be with. 
On July 2, 2013, 26-year-old Catherine Grove left her home in Arkansas on a Greyhound bus headed for Wells, Texas. After coming home and discovering that Catherine had disappeared, her bewildered roommate broke the news to Catherine's parents. They were distraught to hear that their beloved daughter had vanished without a clue. Five days later, at a half hour to midnight, Catherine called her distressed family. She said she was with a group that was taking good care of her. Her parents shouldn't worry. She had become part of the Church of Wells. Catherine's midnight phone call to her parents took them by complete surprise. This was the first time she'd even mentioned the church. She warned them that they were going to see, quote, a lot of bad stuff on the internet about them, but said none of it was true. Initially, Andy and Patty wanted to keep an open mind about the church. Online search results brought them to a variety of sources, including the group's website, which claimed they possessed righteousness unmatched by anyone else. However, it didn't take them long to find some distressing information, including word of a serial killer by the name of Israel Keys, whose mother and four sisters were members of the church. They also came across the harrowing report of Baby Faith, the newborn child of two church members who died without medical care. Instead, the group prayed over the baby for 15 hours in hopes of resurrection. After learning about the dark details of the Church of Wells, chills ran up Andy and Patty Grove's spines. They were certain about one thing. They needed to speak with their daughter and ensure she was all right. After learning where Catherine had run off to, the Groves took a trip to find her. They made the nearly 400-mile drive to Wells and arrived on a cold and damp evening in early April. The sky was heavy with thunderous clouds, the streets were empty, and the hope the Groves had of finding Catherine easily within the town of 800 people wavered. Driving past dilapidated and weather-worn houses and stores, the Groves stopped at the local grocery store and gas station. But the employees didn't give Andy and Patty any information as to the location of the Church of Wells. Unbeknownst to the Groves, the employees were all part of the church and weren't keen on sharing what they knew with outsiders. After a day without any progress towards finding Catherine, the Groves felt helpless. With the belief backed by God that their daughter could carry on for another week, they left town to visit nearby family. Three days later, the Groves returned to Wells. They met four teenagers driving around in a pickup truck. Andy asked where to find the Church of Wells, to which one of them replied, You're looking for the cult. The Groves followed the teens to the church, weaving through town behind their truck. Andy and Patty arrived at the church's main building, a two-story structure in clear need of repairs. They knocked on the church's front door and two men answered. One of them was the 28-year-old elder and co-founder of the church, Ryan Ringnald, a tall, slim man with sunken eyes and an intimidating stare. He didn't seem pleased by their presence. Andy and Patty asked to speak with Catherine, but Ryan refused. He accused them of attempting to kidnap their daughter. They were part of the sinful world that wanted to pull Catherine from the church's loving arms. After a few hours, they eventually managed to negotiate for a meeting at midnight with Catherine. However, Ryan stipulated that he would be present the entire time. That evening, they arrived at the small house that Catherine now called home. The Groves and Elder Ryan sat in her bare and tidy living quarters for two hours. 
The Groves noticed a complete change in their daughter. When they asked her questions, she often turned to Ryan for the answer. She was submissive and quiet, no longer the outgoing young woman they raised. The elders appeared to have clear-cut rules for when women should and shouldn't speak. Patty even found herself on the elders' bad side for speaking without her husband's permission. At the end of their first meeting, Elder Ryan promised the Groves that they could call Catherine on her cell phone at any time. This didn't offer much solace for her worried parents. Andy and Patty left for Arkansas the next morning, their hearts heavy after seeing their daughter in an unrecognizable state. Over the next two weeks, they returned to Wells to see Catherine twice. Church elders always accompanied her. The last encounter with Catherine took place inside the laundromat at the church's store, R&R Mercantile. This meeting came with a devastating blow. Catherine told her father that she didn't need him anymore and wanted both of them to leave. The Groves obeyed her request, but didn't leave for long. They were determined to hold strong and take any means necessary to retrieve their daughter. Coming up, the Church of Wells clashes with the town and Catherine escapes. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, back to the story. A month after 26-year-old Catherine Grove left her home in Arkansas to join the Church of Wells in Texas, her parents returned once again to claim her. 
Andy and Patty arrived at the same store, asking about Catherine. The man working at the counter stiffened up and ordered them to leave. After they declined, the worker called the police. Sheriff's deputies gave the Groves a trespassing warning and told the worker to bring Catherine to the mercantile to confirm her safety. A short while later, Catherine stepped through the front door of the store, more gaunt and morose than the last time. She was dressed conservatively in long and plain clothing that hung from her thin frame. Patty asked her daughter to come with them for a bit outside of the watchful eye of the church members in the store. A yes nearly hung on Catherine's lips before she said she wanted to stay with the Church of Wells. The Groves asked the police to intervene, but Catherine was an adult. She could make her own decisions and she'd expressed a desire to stay in Wells. There was nothing officers could do. Once more, the Groves left dejected. However, they were undefeated. Their insistence on reaching their daughter had caught the attention of the media. Public concerns surrounding Catherine grew. First, local stations covered the case. Then, national news outlets got wind of the Church of Wells. Not long after, Catherine's story received coverage from CNN. The story seemed too salacious to be true, and the Groves were more than willing to give interviews to help their chances of getting Catherine back. The television program Nightline even followed Andy and Patty into the town to locate Catherine. With a news crew in tow, they drove the town's desolate streets. At one point, they confronted an elder on a bike, who refused to stop and talk. Instead, they spouted off quotes from the Bible. Despite the Grove's best efforts, Catherine remained out of reach. However, the media incursion did force the elders' hands. They weren't keen on the intensity of the spotlight, but Sean Morris sat down with ABC's local station KTRE9 to set things straight. In the interview, he made it clear that Catherine had the freedom to leave whenever she wanted. In addition, he stated that his group faced resistance because they wanted to get back to what the Bible says. He added that the fact that anyone would call his church a cult shows the degeneracy of our age. That October, to demonstrate Catherine's happiness, the Church of Wells shared a video of her baptism. In a diminished tone of voice, she talked about her newfound faith and referred to herself as having been an enemy of God for 26 years. But her actions soon after spoke louder than her words. In November of 2013, Catherine disappeared after a midnight prayer meeting where an argument about scripture had taken place. After 18 hours without a trace, the church called the sheriff. A bloodhound from the Department of Corrections discovered Catherine hiding in the woods, not far from Wells, with a backpack full of clothes. When the authorities found her, she turned down their offer to spend the night at a nearby women's shelter to get away from the church. Catherine explained that she just needed some time to pray and think. Ultimately, though, she wanted to be back in the fold. Despite the recent negative attention turned towards them because of Catherine, the church wasn't planning on giving up its controversial actions or teachings. In February 2014, police arrested Elder Jake Gardner during a religious event coordinated by the First Baptist Church of Kilgore, a city north of Wells. Although reports are murky as to Gardner's exact actions, authorities charged the church elder with criminal trespass and resisting arrest slash search. He was likely up to his old street preaching behavior. The aggressive proselytizing wasn't limited to Jake. 
Ryan Rignald earned a Class B misdemeanor trespassing charge after storming one of televangelist Joel Olstein's sermons in Houston with five fellow church members. Each mugshot bore a smile from the members of the church. They were behaving in a way that they found godlike. There were no regrets or remorse as a result of their actions, only resolve in spreading their message. And when unleashed within their town, the offenses didn't slow down by any means. In April 2014, the people of Wells strode down their town's thoroughfare, celebrating their 50th anniversary homecoming parade. As families with their children lined the streets to watch the festivities, the Church of Wells decided to crash the event. They followed the route to preach the word of damnation and eternal hellfire to a shocked and frustrated crowd full of families and children. Parents recalled Sean and his church members approaching young children and igniting nightmares as a result. Jeffrey Brotherton, the father of a four-year-old girl at the parade, said she asked, Daddy, what's hell and why am I going to hell? Brotherton found their methods of ministry inappropriate, a sentiment clearly echoed by others in town. At the parade, things escalated. Sean Morris and another church member were assaulted by some of the parade goers. Eventually, law enforcement intervened, using pepper spray to break up the scuffle. Members of the community had reached their limit. One woman present at the Wells Parade later said, They are wrong to verbally attack us. Our town may be small, but this town will stand strong together to protect our children. Pastor Goodwin of the United Methodist Church stated he would be happy to coexist with the Church of Wells if their members went about their days peacefully. However, with repeated proof that living harmoniously wasn't part of their game plan, Goodwin found it imperative to put his foot down. In a plea on his Facebook page, Goodwin wrote, Enough is enough. I do not advocate violence, but I believe in standing for what is right, no matter what the cost. Pastor Goodwin rounded out his post with a request for his congregation to take action against the group through praying and promising to protect the town's children. In rebuttal to the chaos that the church had caused, citizens took to boycotting the R&R Mercantile, successfully forcing them to close their doors for lack of business in September 2014. The town of Wells was tired of the church. After years of enduring their many controversies and confrontational nature, the people of Wells had finally scored a victory. But while the town felt a sense of accomplishment, Andy and Patty Grove were still waiting for relief. By the spring of 2015, Catherine had been with the Church of Wells for nearly two years. Her time with the group had been mired in controversy, and her confidence in their teachings seemed to waver. On April 2, 2015, Catherine Grove called her parents for the first time in months and said, I need you in Wells. Catherine fled the church that day, and by 8 p.m. she was spotted walking along Highway 69 before crossing the county line later that night. While making her way, her cell phone had died, but a passing stranger allowed her to use their phone to call 911. She asked for somebody to pick her up, and shortly after, Captain Alton Lenderman arrived. He would have to take her back to the church if she had said she wanted to go. However, she didn't mention the church. So, Lenderman went about locating a place for her to stay. After finding that she didn't meet certain criteria to go to a woman's shelter nearby, she was brought to the police station, where all she wanted was a meal and a way to reach her parents. 
Catherine called her father again. At 1 a.m., they were reunited at the Angelina County Sheriff's Office. But the joyous moment was short-lived. Catherine then hesitated over her next move. She'd been with the church for nearly two years, during which time she'd come to believe that they were the only path toward salvation. Was she really ready to leave them? But she likely saw their flaws, even more starkly than Wells' locals. After weighing the options in her mind, she refocused and agreed to go home with her dad. As Captain Lenderman escorted Andy and his daughter to their car, he commented on the smile Catherine had on her face. It was a seemingly innocuous comment, but it struck a chord with Catherine, and her words became scornful. She'd been programmed to strike against signs of the secular world. This included deviations from a serious focus upon the Lord, including a focus on physical beauty. Catherine then spat damnation at the captain and said, I wish I could help you, but I can't. You're demon-possessed. Your daughter's demon-possessed, and you'll never know God. Catherine had been under the group's care for nearly two years and likely showed signs of someone who'd been through phobia indoctrination. This destructive tool is often used by cult leaders to keep their followers submissive. In this case, Catherine had been taught to fear the outside world. Only in the church was she saved. So when confronted by any signs of the outside world, she attacked, likely out of fear. In an article for the American Psychological Association, cult expert Steve Hassan gave some hope for those who were indoctrinated in this way. He said, just as we can do short-term, deep, effective therapy to teach people about phobias and help them to get over their phobia, we can do the same with cult mind control victims. Luckily for Catherine, despite the outburst and clear control the church had over her, she still followed through on her decision to leave. By the time she and her father arrived at the farm in the morning, Catherine hadn't stopped preaching Wells' doctrine to them, pausing only for a brief nap and a bowl of soup. Concerned about Catherine's state of mind, her parents took her to a mental hospital. To get her there, they lied and said they were visiting family in Little Rock. While doctors evaluated Catherine, word of her escape trickled out to local media outlets, who dutifully reported on the event. For most in the region, the years-long saga that had caused so much drama was now over. Some locals rejoiced that Catherine had left and felt that chapter of the town's history had come to a close. But things weren't that simple. After several days of observation, doctors declared that she had no mental illness. As such, they discharged her. However, members of the church were waiting. They had kept tabs on her whereabouts and lured her back to Wells. After only a few days of hope, once more, she had slipped from the grove's grasp. Less than a week later, on April 16, 2015, the church posted a video to YouTube. Catherine sat exhausted before a black backdrop and announced her plans to be married to a fellow member of the church. She gave no set date, but expressed hopes that her parents would attend. In a later discussion with Texas Monthly, Catherine changed her entire motive for going with her father. She said, I didn't want to leave the church. I wanted to preach to him and convince him he's confused about the church. The church's hold over Catherine seemed unbreakable, and they weren't just content with their current flock. It was time to expand. They had to save as many people by any means necessary. Coming up, a young street preacher in Austin disappears and turns up at the Church of Wells.
This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. By 2016, the Church of Wells had weathered several storms that threatened their existence. Despite the turbulence, they showed no signs of giving up. They now had Catherine Grove back in the fold, and she was getting married to another church member. After her return, media interest in the congregation quieted down, and its elders hadn't learned their lesson about induction. They still believed their cause was holy and righteous, and they were just as brazen as ever. On Halloween night, 27-year-old Jordan Reichenberger stood on the corner of 6th Street in downtown Austin. He shared his interpretation of the Bible with passers-by, something he did regularly. Members of the Church of Wells stood preaching nearby. Around midnight, the group, including Elder Ryan Ringnald, approached Jordan. They said, we're following Jesus. Do you want to go with us? Happy to meet fellow Christians, Jordan obliged and went with the men who offered him a bottle of water on the way back to their car. As he sat in the back seat, Jordan sipped from the bottle of water. He started to feel groggy and disoriented. He could hardly pay attention as the elders preached to him unceasingly to the point where they no longer made sense. 215 miles later, Jordan found himself in front of the church's wooden compound in Wells. Over the next several days, Jordan was subjected to hours of sermons. From his account, the elders believed they were the only people on earth who were saved, and anyone else's interpretation of the word of God was incorrect. Those who disagreed or disobeyed would be punished. Already a believer and disoriented by the events of the past few days, it didn't take much for Jordan to come to acceptance. While in their care, he saw a bizarre interaction between a man and an infant crying out for her mother. The man replied to the young child's tears by firmly insisting that they were learning patience. By not seeing her mother, the child was becoming better and closer to God. Jordan knew he should have done something, but he was too impaired to solve the troubling situation. In Austin, Jordan's brother, Ian Reichenberger, received a text message from their father. He asked if Ian had heard from Jordan at all. He hadn't come home for the past two nights. Once they established that Jordan was missing, the family called the local police department, who tracked the location of Jordan's phone. The last ping the phone sent was from Dimebox, a city an hour east of Austin. While the authorities did what they could, the Reichenbergers reached out to bars and restaurants in downtown Austin to scan their security footage. After frantically searching, a video from a restaurant called The Iron Cactus successfully revealed Jordan walking by with a man in a plaid shirt at 2.47 a.m. 
Another live video stream posted to YouTube from downtown Austin on Halloween revealed another sighting of the man in plaid arguing about Christianity with a stranger in a clown costume. With this information, the family then contacted Dottie Laster from the Heidi Search Foundation in San Antonio, who specialized in finding missing persons. According to Ian, when Dottie heard that Jordan left downtown with a man in a plaid shirt, she said, oh no, that sounds like the Church of Wells. Then, on November 3rd, he finally broke his silence. But the words he chose were far from what his family wanted to hear. Jordan sent a text message to several contacts that said, Do not fear for me, my friend. I have decided to follow Jesus and forsake all. Please forgive any pain or grief I have caused you. Ian pleaded with him to return home, to which Jordan responded, I don't think it's my time to leave yet. The process of extracting a cult member from the group and undoing the process of brainwashing is known as deprogramming. Margaret Singer, co-author of Cults in Our Midst, referred to deprogramming as providing members with information about the cult and showing them how their own decision-making power had been taken away from them. As Jordan had been with the Church of Wells for a short amount of time, the deprogramming process might have proved simpler than in many other cases. Still, it was clear to Jordan's family that they would have to be delicate in extracting Jordan from the Church of Wells. Before their rescue mission, Ian and his family were educated on how to best retrieve his brother. They talked to other people who had previously attempted to penetrate the church's barriers. Although the church rested on a foundation of aggression, Ian theorized that the best way to approach them was with as little fire as possible. He learned that if he were to storm up to them in a rage, they would use his anger as a sign of irrationality. With this in mind, he opted for a softer approach. Finding him was hard enough, but retrieving him would prove to be even tougher. Ian was on a mission to save his sibling. The trouble was, Jordan was under the impression that his captors had already saved him. Upon his arrival, the church elders met Ian with a heated response. They preached violently to the rescue team for several hours. Eventually, though, they relinquished their hold over Jordan. They likely thought that his presence might be more trouble than it was worth. They didn't want another Catherine Grove situation on their hands. For Jordan, his time spent with the Church of Wells was a haze. From the moment the group offered that first bottle of water in downtown Austin, things were blurry. After returning home, Jordan learned he'd been drugged. A test of his hair follicles found traces of a sleep aid and a muscle relaxant. Shocked, the Reichenbergers contacted the police about the results of the drug test. There was a large media response to Jordan's disappearance and return. Ian told local ABC station KVUE that people were so surprised we got him back. Their surprise was warranted. Retrieving those who moved to the Church of Wells and reuniting them with their loved ones was rare. Pastor Josh Llewellyn of Wells First Baptist Church bore witness to many families desperately seeking to extract their loved ones from the Church of Wells to no avail. Including Andy and Patty Grove. As of 2015, Catherine was still a member of the church, along with about 90 or so other followers. The church carries onward preaching, recruiting, and bringing newcomers into their isolated world. Cherokee County Sheriff James Campbell feels disheartened, but there isn't much he can do. Although individual members have incurred arrests from time to time, their congregation as a whole hasn't broken any laws, 
and they've complied with the department's requests. In the name of salvation, they stay tucked away within the walls of Wells' cult. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on the Church of Wells, amongst the many sources we used, we found Sonia Smith's articles in Texas Monthly, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Autumn Palin, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker, fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 